Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the BizCast. I'm Shannon King. So before we get to today's guest, be sure to keep listening for a bonus conversation at the end of this episode. This week, I caught up with Steve Lewis, president and CEO of Thomaston Savings Bank. We talked about how banks are continuing to support small businesses still struggling from the impact of the pandemic with new federal stimulus money and why he's seen an increase in fraudulent activity targeting businesses over the past year. But the big story I wanted Steve to tell is how Thomaston Savings Bank is not only giving back to the community, but is supporting struggling restaurants and catering businesses at the same time through their community kitchen project. I asked Steve why it's so important to his business and to him as a leader to give back to the community. As always, please rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to stay tuned for a bonus conversation at the end. And with that, here's my conversation with Steve. The first time we talked was almost a year ago today in April, which is really crazy. Um, We're doing a check-in with each other. Um, But last time we talked here on the pod, we were discussing how businesses were navigating the first round of the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, So to start, we're waiting on the U.S. Senate to pass uh, President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID economic relief package. And that does include about $25 billion um, for the SBA uh, to administer a new grant program. Uh, This one is going to target bars, restaurants, and venues that have been closed up until this point. There's definitely going to be some openings later this summer and spring. So obviously looking forward to that. So would you agree that there is still a need for financial relief for small businesses, even though here we are a year into the pandemic with the vaccine rolling out? What have you been hearing from your clients? What are they still struggling with right now? I definitely think there's still a need and it, you know, it's been quite a journey for a lot of these businesses starting back, you know, when you look back in April, you know, how stressful it was at that point in time with the unknown. And then, you know, then I think we had the summer, a little bit of a reprieve. And then we went back in the fall with things shutting down and then really shutting down in winter. So, you know, where we tend to see the issues, it, it, we have, you know, it's interesting that you have some businesses, I think at CBIA, I, I heard Chris speak recently, you have some businesses that are actually doing extremely well during these times, but then you have another group of businesses really suffering. And those areas really deal where, you know, when you're talking about the restaurants, the catering businesses, they have really been hit extremely hard. Not all restaurants, I got to say, because some restaurants were, were set up for the takeout business and they've done very well. But then other businesses that focused on more of a bar business, uh, dine-in, and weren't set up for that quick takeout meal, they, they've really struggled. Uh, you know, it's been an up and down for them and they just need something to carry them through to when things open back up again. Um, you know, and I, I've spoken to some of our caterers. They have a huge backlog. They just need to get to be able to start, you know, opening up again and actually having events. And once they can get people there and have events, um, you know, they'll be in great shape. But in the meantime, they've been out of business for a year. So they need some backstop to really help them to carry them through until they can get going again and get caught up. So I think that's, those businesses really particularly have been really hard hit. Um, But like I said, on the manufacturing front, it's a wide variety 
And where we've seen the manufacturers sometimes struggling, it's not a demand issue, it's a supply chain issue. And due to that supply chain not catching up, some of these businesses are having some financial difficulties. So I think uh, some additional funds will be very beneficial for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's definitely been these different groups of or buckets, as Chris <laughs> said, that uh, some businesses are doing really well, have been doing really well, um, expanding even, and then other businesses have been closed for most of the winter, um, especially with the spike. So certainly hoping for warmer weather. And um, once we get to herd immunity, we're hopefully going to get on the other side of this. So yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you that um, small businesses have been struggling with is, and this doesn't seem like it would increase during COVID, maybe it has, is cybersecurity and a lot of different fraud out there. With We've seen that for people, for consumers with, you know, fake information or, you know, get your vaccine here, get this PPE and it's faulty or not true. That's happening with small businesses too. So can you talk to me a little bit about what you've been hearing from your clients? Yes, and we actually have seen a little bit of an increase in, in this area. I think, uh, you know, people are sitting at home and have more time, so they're using that to, you know, commit more fraud. Probably, uh, you know, I'll just kind of say three three or four areas where we've seen a lot of activity. One is on the, on the cyber area, and that's ransomware, where someone is able to hack into your system, and they destroy damage, or they actually just take over your system, and then they require a ransom for you to unlock or recover the data. And that ransom a lot of times has to be paid in some sort of cyber currency, such as a Bitcoin. Uh, and we have seen that still taking place, still impacting businesses. You know, and I would just say to business owners, you know, it is critical that you keep your, I, you know, speak with your IT staff or vendors to keep your system secure and always maintain backup. Because if you have a good backup, you can at least bring your system back up and get things running rather than being completely shut down because of this hacker that's taken over your system. In another area we've seen, and recently uh, we have some customers at the bank that were taking for uh, $20,000 $20, plus in, in this other fraud. It's a, I'll call it an invoice vendor fraud. And what they what someone will do is they will uh send a fake email to you or to, you know, someone on your staff to say, um, you know, we're vendor X and we've changed our uh, bank accounts. So going forward, please send the payment electronically to this new, um, this, this new bank account and this new bank and they'll make it look really good. They'll send a few emails. They'll, they'll mimic, what, what the vendor's email looks like. Um, and we, like I said, we had a customer recently that, that lost tens of thousands of dollars to this fraud. Uh, so, you know, I would say in this case is, you know, make sure you call and speak with someone directly and confirm, just do a secondary follow-up to confirm that that truly is what that vendor is trying to accomplish. Talk to someone you know in that business and confirm any changes. Don't take it for granted from an email. And then just the last one, which is, I'll call it an old school fraud, but it's check fraud. Uh, simply people taking your check and, and making a copy of it and, and creating a, some fraudulent checks and drawing down against your account. 
Um, and the control on that is, you know, uh, your the bank you work with should have um, some different cash management services, such as a positive pay or account reconcilements to help you prevent those checks from being cashed if that type of activity occurs. But those are, you know, four, four things that we've really, we've seen our customers actually lose money on. You know, we work with them to try to get the money back. Some cases we are successful, but not all cases, but they can cost a lot of money if you don't do anything. So I just want to, you know, bring that to small businesses' attention and make sure they take action uh, to try to prevent those things from happening. Yeah, absolutely. We've been hearing about that uh, cybersecurity among the small business community in particular for a long time. But now, especially like you said, the landscape has changed where fraudulent actors, they have a little bit more time. Information is moving, it has moved to the cloud more because people have, are working remotely more. So yeah, that's definitely a really great thing to uh, to keep in mind and remind uh, small business owners to be aware of, certainly. So the original reason why I wanted to have you on the pod again is because Thompson Savings Bank recently launched the Community Kitchen Project. So I'm going to let you explain what this initiative is. I want to know how it came to be and how does the project work? Where it started was a conversation in our executive committee where different groups, our lender, our, our chief loan officer and commercial credit officers were talking about some of our customers who were in that food service industry that were really struggling. Uh, you know, as I recently spoke, you know, talked about how, you know, their industries have been hit. And this was really, I thought that, uh, you know, the worst point was right over the holidays in December, end of December. And then one of our other officers, who is our community reinvestment officer and deals a lot with, uh, you know, community outreach, he had been hearing at the same time as, you know, the soup kitchens and the crisis intervention centers and the various, uh, those various organizations uh, had seen the need for food significantly increase. Uh, the number of people coming that had food security issues, the numbers had gone up significantly. Um, you know, and we kind of ended on that. It's like, boy, I wish we could do something. Let's think about it. And one of our officers, uh, a little while later, you know, a couple of days later, came back and he said, you know, I think I have something that might work and we can help both. And said, how about we reach out to some of, some of our customers that are struggling in the food service industry and see if they would be able to make meals and those meals, we will pay them for the meals, but we will deliver those meals to the soup kitchens and the food pantries and to, you know, our, our uh, different intervention centers and allow them to be distributed there. So we talked to our community outreach officer and said, you know, this is really an awesome idea. Let's see if, if it's feasible. Uh, you know, we weren't sure if, you know, we can make the logistics work, but we talked to um, some of our groups we talked to a couple of our caterers and just took a, you know, talked with a couple on each side, say, can we make this work? Can you make meals and then be able to deliver them to one of these other organizations? And both sides said, yes, we can do this. And this would be so well-timed for both of us. And on the restaurant side for them, they needed a lifeline. You know, they saw this as, if we can get a little, make a little money, bring a little staff back and, and 
get to the spring where we think we're going to be able to reopen. This will be huge for us. And then they also, something that was interesting that came out that I hadn't anticipated, you know, a couple of the restaurants said during the winter, you know, is our busiest time. But we also, during the winter, we usually are able to provide some support back to the community. And this year we haven't been able to do that. And so for us to be able to make a little money, but also support our community, it'll be so meaningful for us. And then from the agency perspective, you know, the the soup kitchens and the different outreach organizations, they have not had a break. They've been going full out since, uh, you know, COVID started and and the capacity is way up. And they said that it would be so fantastic if I could give a few people a little bit of a break and still be able to provide meals to all the people that are, are in need of them. So it worked out, the logistics and the pieces just fell into place. So what our project turned out to be doing is we ran it, uh, are still running it. It started in uh, February 15th, and it's running through to March 24th. And we have purchased 5,800 meals from four different restaurant caterers, and we are providing those 5,800 meals to nine different agencies in the Torrington, Waterbury, Bristol marketplace. Yeah. So, I mean, this is pretty incredible. We've heard a lot of stories of businesses and banks giving back to the community. But this story in particular was really interesting to me because you were helping the community and also helping businesses. So it it was this trickle down, this trickle down initiative to help two different communities that are struggling. Small businesses, restaurants, catering companies who have been hit really hard, like you just said, but also the the nonprofits and community centers. The need has just, has you know, it hasn't decreased. It has increased exponentially over the last year. So yeah, this is like a golden ticket idea. <laughs> I love it, if I could call it that. So yeah, so you mentioned the nine different organizations. So did you want to keep it local or expand it a little bit? You basically had to do outreach to all these different communities. Would you expand it if you could a little further? Um, I mean, I would love to see other organizations. I'd be happy to share our ideas with others that could do it in other communities. For us, you know, we're focused in on our communities that we operate in. So that's, you know, we you know, are focused on those, but I'd love to see some other banks or other organizations, you know, replicate what we've done in their communities. I think it'd be be a fantastic idea and it it just worked out so well. And what was surprising was these restaurants we worked with were able to put together these wonderful menus. I mean, we looked at it like, wow, this is a great menu. And, you know, we asked them, said, you know, we understand you need to make a little money, uh, you know, doing this because, we, you know, that was the point. We want to make sure you're also making a little bit. They said, no, we're, we're profiting from this, but we're also, we can do this at this cost, at this scale. So uh, it worked out so well. We were just amazed that we were able to get 5,800 meals out to the different agencies. And, you know, and some of the organizations we're working with just wanted to have a small clientele. So they just needed, you know, 40 or 50 meals each day. And uh, it worked out very, very well to get the food over to them. And uh, the agencies have been, the meals, like I said, have been fantastic. And everyone's been so happy to receive them. Yeah, that 
That's really incredible. I, I love listening about this story. So in terms of extending or expanding this project, so I, I know you do have a date of when this is going to end, but and with the pandemic, you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We may be out of this by the end of this year. But are there any thoughts about extending this through the summer into next fall and winter? Because this is just such a great idea to purchase meals to help is to help the restaurants and then also to give these meals into the community. The need is not going to decrease at all. So have you thought about continuing this into the the remainder of the year in the coming years maybe around the holiday season I know it's early so you know if you haven't thought about it that's fine but are there thoughts to extend this further it was really a, tr- a test run Shannon that w- when we did this it was let's just see if we actually pull this whole thing off and see how it works and what the impact is and now that we're starting to get some feedback on it and how well it's been received by the restaurants and by the communities it is something that we i would imagine we will look at doing whether you know like you said we do something around the holidays or or during the spring but maybe speak with, we'll probably speak with the agencies after the fact and speak with the restaurants to find a time where maybe, you know, there's the need is the greatest and they don't have the support. Cause you know, a lot of times right during the holidays, you know, a lot of people are always donating and that's not a critical time, but maybe it'll be in the fall or the spring, but we'll have, we'll follow up with them. And, and I envision that we would do something again in the future, but yes, I would love to see us do this based upon the feedback we have gotten today. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's pretty incredible, all the other work that the bank continues to do throughout the year. Um, kind of off of what, you know, what you just said about what the bank does, this is a little bit of a big question, but why is it important for the bank, but also to you as a leader, why is it important to give back to the community in these types of ways? First of all, we have 225 employees who live in that community. And so it's, you know, it's the bank's community, it's our, it's my community, it's our staff's community, and I, I think it's invaluable. Secondly, our institution is a little bit, uh, our organizational ownership structure is a little bit different. We were formed in 1874, and we were organized as a mutual savings bank. So actually, the depositors of the bank are our owners. So... We don't have shareholders. We don't have a family or one individual who owns the bank. So what the, the bank has done since its beginning, really, I mean, it, it's a legacy tradition, has found ways to give back to the community who really are our owners. And it's been done through, you know, initially it was, you know, small contributions or contributions of time by the staff. And that contribution of time by the staff staff continues. I mean, we, on average, are 78,000 hours of volunteer time that we give back to the community. Uh, but also, we, we recognize that, you know, financial support was critical. And so I look at it almost as rather than paying a dividend to our stockholders, we're paying out a dividend through community support to our owners, our community. And so I think it's, it's super important. And, and, you know, secondarily, the need is there too. I mean, we see a lot of need that we can help get, you know, get some very good things accomplished that make a difference in our local communities. 
and sometimes, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, we'll do five, you know, $250 grants for a local boy scout that needs, you know, boy scout club that needs a, to buy a new camping gear. So a lot of times those smaller organizations get missed and, and uh, you know, there isn't any support for them. So I think we're flexible enough uh, to be able to fund a wide range of different organizations and, and help our community. We've just added a new account at the bank and it's through a group called Bank On and it's through a group called Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund. And what's unique about this con- account is that it's geared towards people in the unbanked, underbanked population uh, with no fees attached to it. Uh, and it's trying to, the goal of this account is to bring people back into the banking system that maybe for some reason have been unable to get in. And we uh, you know, just started this account um, and we've already had you know, a, a, you know over a dozen people who pro- previously were unable to get into the banking system now get back into the banking system. So very proud of this, too, because uh, we know economic disparity is a huge issue and not being in the banking system is a big part of that. So this is our part to try to help work with individuals to improve their financial circumstances. So just wanted to add that as, as something else we're doing now to try to help in the community. And I think it's truly a part of our mission from our beginning. Our four founders, when they started this bank and had the insight to do that, it's always been ingrained into the institution that, um, yes, we're always going to do what's best for our customer, but we also are going to do what's good for our community as well. Hello again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Steve, and I hope you'll enjoy the next one too. I don't know what it is, but it seems as though right after I interview a CBIA member company for a BizCast episode, more news comes out about a new product they're launching, an expansion of their business or physical footprint or an award or contract they've received. Turns out, when I interviewed Mark Namath, president of Jonell Labs back in January, he had some news to share, but it was too early to share it on the pod. Just this past week, I caught up with Mark to talk about yet another expansion for his company. Jonell Labs recently finalized the purchase of a new manufacturing space in Meriden, which will be shared with Midstate Arc, a nonprofit serving individuals with developmental disabilities. Let's get right to our conversation about why Mark is excited about the new space and how it'll support Jonell Labs' continuous growth over the coming years. I've always had a, uh, I always thought it was a, a good building. And uh, yeah, I knew that, uh, well, I felt very strongly we would be uh, continuing to grow. And we were pretty much out of, going to be out of space in our, uh, our headquarters. And then, you know, as I said, nine years ago, we uh, got some additional space because we we're uh, going after some uh, work in the airframe uh, side of the uh, industry. And we, uh, I, I just talked to the uh, executive director and I said, if you're ever uh, unhappy with that building or moving out, uh, let us know. Well, what happened is, uh, as you said by the article, uh, her uh, payers uh, changed their paying, uh, uh, changed the requirements that uh, they had to not bring people into the main facility but do their work in the community. And uh, so uh, over the last uh, couple of years, uh, between uh, us negotiating and uh, getting the loans, uh, we ended up closing uh, uh, a month or so ago. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. You're going to be sharing the space. So how much of the space are you taking over in that building? 
we are we are taking over all the building and we are subletting uh, slightly less than half of it to the uh, present uh, occupant. We uh, we are going through uh, some uh, mental gymnastics at uh, at John L to decide what we want to move over there. Some of the ideas uh, are the um, any uh, product family, part family, let's say that uh, will align itself to uh, uh, a cell operation. Uh, we can move over there. Uh, we have uh, manufacturing cells in our uh, headquarters, uh, but uh, it's not perfect space. So well, we're going to use this as an opportunity to uh, uh, make it as be- as perfect as we can on operation for uh, some of the uh, um, some of the work we currently do. And then there's a a number of new uh, types of business we're uh, we're pursuing, and uh, that can um, can easily fit over there. We're also looking at um, we will uh, have three locations. We're not planning on um, leaving either of the other two uh, locations, and um, we're considering uh, centralizing our material prep area, uh, maybe over there, maybe at Pratt Street, but centralizing it um, and uh, have like a big Kanban and um, be, uh, be shuttling um, raw material uh, back and forth. All that's uh, being developed. Um, we're looking at uh, energy efficiency, whether we're going to put solar or, or anything else uh, there. But uh, our intent is... Uh, to uh, work towards uh, a reduction, if not zero, uh, net zero uh, uh, carbon um, input uh, at that facility. That's a great goal to have. Um, so uh, my next question was going to be, uh, what types of machines or what sort of processes are going to be in that new facility? But you just alluded to it. It's still in development. You're still working on what what oh, parts? I, I can tell you that there is, won't be anything majorly different than what we currently have. Uh, and the, the basic machine we have that we use is a hydraulic press. And the basic technology is 100 plus years old, uh, heat and pressure. Uh, obviously, uh, new technology, uh, laser measuring and, and all that other stuff. Uh, we're, we're probably looking at building some specialty rooms over there. Uh, we'll probably build a, a very high-level clean room. We'll probably uh, build a room that can handle some, uh, I'm going to say hazardous, uh, not really hazardous, but uh, uh, materials that give off some volatiles. Uh, it has to be, um, you know, it's safe and all, but you have to have the setup uh, properly done. So we're not doing that work right now, but uh, one of our goals is to have a continuum of uh, production equipment and facility to uh, as we uh, as we slowly get outside of our historic core uh, uh, business and work we're doing, so uh, you know we started in business uh, basically supplying the jet engine uh, side of the aerospace business. We moved to the airframe side, uh, and uh, we're slowly uh, migrating to uh, marine uh, ground vehicles. Uh, always focusing on the idea of the. Uh, the technical side, the engineering and the uh, chemistry involved, uh, obviously the manufacturing. And as we've talked about before, uh, overlaid of, over that is the uh, what we consider our, our, our finest uh, uh, trait is the customer service. Um, may, we just uh, getting as close as we can to our customers. 
uh, finding out what their problems are and make them our problems and solve it for them. Yeah, you talked about that in uh, the last podcast episode. Um, so what did you really love about this location? It is. It was originally built for a, a machine shop. So you have the thick floors, you have the electricity in place, you have the open uh, expanse. Um, and that's uh, that's pretty much it. Um, it's um, it's funny. We uh, we were having a major customer come and see us. I don't know, eight ten years ago, and where our current location is, it's in a neighborhood. Um, and they drove around the neighborhood, and there was actually a debate within the car: Do we want to come in here? And because I said this can't be uh, it can't be what we're looking for. Well. Um, I guess they didn't see us coming. They, they came in to, uh, and um, they were very pleased, obviously, to come in and uh, find that uh, we were very technically and manufacturing competent. But uh, you could, um, you've been at our facility. It's not, not typical uh, from what you would expect on a high tech uh, in the higher end of the uh, industry like we are. So um, this will uh, this will show uh, a little nicer, uh, show well. I emphasize that uh, this is a, a long-term play. Um, and I think in the article, I, I mentioned that it's anywhere from uh, uh, two years to uh, 10 years that uh, we would start to uh, mi migrate or move uh, oper some operations over there. Uh, ARC is uh, running, they have a two-year lease. Uh, they can leave you know, with a 90-day notice. Uh, I don't expect them to be leaving. So we have a you know, we'll have the, uh, their income to uh, support it. And um, from the very beginning of the COVID, uh, I was under the impression that most of our, uh, most of the big players in the industry didn't underreact. I'm not saying they overreacted, but I, I do think they acted very quickly. Uh, the information I've been receiving and reading and, and just uh, coming across uh, my mind shows that um, I think the recovery is going to start uh, this year, uh, the latter half of this year. And I think it's going to be a little quicker than the uh, pessimists have uh, predicted. We've been, you know, we've been building our business and doing the positive things throughout. Uh, obviously, as I said before, the PPP have been incredibly helpful for us. We've kept people employed and made this the year of the process, the year of the communication. So we've been working on um, We've identified 120 processes that uh, we've been working on uh, these 18 months from the middle of last year through the whole this year. And like anything, I'm impatient that we're not further along, but we are we are addressing things and uh, and I think moving in the right direction. And uh, I, I do see uh, more uh, activity uh, that would indicate that uh, the industry is starting to move. And I'm not ready to bet on it fully, but I'm starting to get a good feeling. For the latest Connecticut business news, events, and resources, visit cbia.com. Follow us on Twitter at CBIA News and on LinkedIn and Facebook. Call us anytime at 860-244-1900. Stay safe out there. <laughs>